Teacher, author, broadcaster and director of the Academy of Ideas, Claire Fox is sat with me in the corner of the bar located in the back of the House of St. Barnabas, just off of Soho Square. Claire, tell me a little bit about this place and what it means to you as your corner table of choice. Yeah, so it's a private members club and I really like the notion of it because it's both a very fine private members club but also they have a charitable arm and they work with both the homeless and more specifically doing employment training with homeless people to get them into work and I think that that seems to me you know that they're not overly worthy about it it's not kind of preachy but it does mean that the profits from the club go for a good cause and it's one that I'm pretty enthusiastic about what I really like about it is it's an old um, actually an old religious property um, I think it was an arms house at one point but it's kind of got a chapel that's still a working chapel actually we've organised the Casimir Vahadiz we've organised events there we've organised debates in that chapel it's very beautiful um, so I just think check it out and they probably do have public events but maybe see if you want to join By the time this goes out the PM Theresa May will have put her Brexit deal to a second parliamentary vote, which I'm confident the listeners by now acknowledge as having not succeeded after an initial defeat back in January, and with very little about it changed. But whether or not Article 50 is triggered on the 29th of March as planned or is extended, this really is, as per the title of this episode, Brexit at the 11th hour. So my aim here isn't to go over in detail the past three years with you, but instead to ask you, as somebody who voted to leave the EU, but who has also made it their life's work to reinvigorate the public square, what you've made of the journey, and whether you think Brexit has done more good than harm to political debate in this country, or whether it's the other way around. So there's lots of things to untangle, isn't there? I think that uh, overall that Brexit has done a huge amount of good because it's reignited people's agency i think that people felt uh, politics was done to them prior to the leave vote and i think that people got a sense that their vote mattered and they acted accordingly there's a kind of sense in which there's a genie out of the bottle and as a consequence in some ways of the vote not being enacted in good faith i think more you know the way that things have panned out ironically it's made people very attentive to what's going on in politics so you've got more and more people following what's going on in politics and in some ways you could say it's actually carried on being a very positive thing because people now are frustrated by what's happening in parliament but on the other hand following it in great detail you know you can now and in fact I was talking to somebody today about this who works professionally in polling you know you can now kind of phone up any number of people and have conversations with them about sovereignty about what they think about um, uh, different uh, um, indicative votes about select committees about voting systems constitutional discussions which you'd have thought you know a couple of years if you said everyone's got very animated about the British constitution everybody like laugh at you right and yet somehow that's come to the fore yeah I remember you mentioned the moment a light came on for you about this in a budget hair salon near your home in Wood Green which incidentally I think I might have frequented once or twice myself when I lived in Turnpike Lane where the stylists actually told you that the referendum result meant they were discussing politics around the clock where before they'd barely been aware of what was happening yeah, I mean, I think that one of my frustrations, even today, is how those who are engaged in the kind of official political world don't seem to realise how animated the debates were 
in the build-up to the referendum and actually more subsequently in terms of, you know, going to the pub, you know, standing at the school gates, standing at... I mean, everyone was talking about it. And actually, when I tell people this, they seem quite bemused and, and like, you know, what do you mean people in the hairdressers talking about it or people in your mum's care home are having discussions about tariff controls? I mean, don't be ridiculous. And I think that's what's, what, what people missed was that actually it really did animate people and they were worried about, oh, God, we've got this once-in-a-lifetime decision to make. You know, we better find out about it. And that's all true, but there's a danger. I don't want to kind of overdo that kind of past or make it over-romanticise it. So we've ordered the fish finger wrap with a side of chips. We've got some olives here and some almonds on the table as well. I've got a beer, you've got a G&T. In terms of the menu here, how do you rate it? And yeah, explain your choice from the menu. So I really find kind of formal dinners quite tricky. So I quite like the idea that you can have a substantial bar bite here. And I was... I was bemused when I first saw the fish finger wrap because I thought, I used to love fish fingers when I was little. And I knew it was kind of one of those pretentious, modern, you know, trendy twists on an old recipe. Had it, and then I liked it. I thought, all right, I'll have that again. But it is odd. You don't really need the wrap. And it's really just fish fingers and chips. But it does taste nice, so I'll give them that. And it's um, the fish is very nicely done. So, But I, I like it because you can eat with your fingers and it's just a little bit more informal so that makes me less anxious I always feel more anxious when I'm at a formal dinner setting it's hard not to appreciate criticism of those who voted leave yet who consistently cannot specify what it is about the EU or what it does that they find so egregious asked exactly which directives which laws which policies voters find most repugnant Consistently, the answer they opt for is all of the above. Yeah, but the, that's why the lightning rod, the, the kind of the thing which summed it all up so much, was freedom of movement because that's the really big one, and it kind of encapsulated the the issues for people. So I think that the kind of like gone which of the directives is it is is missing the point of what the the kind of the the general narrative. That came out, which, by the way, if you um, vote with feeling and have got instincts, it's not the same as being unreasonable or not using your reason. I mean, that's part of reason. Reason isn't just a kind of um, mechanical calculation. But doesn't voting out of a kind of devotion to nebulous concepts such as sovereignty play straight into the hands of ideologies and their ideologues? No, but I'm, I'm an ide- I mean, I believe in ideology. Ideology. I mean, there's no just one. They're competing ideologies. Ideology is what gives you principles. It's you know, it's the big visions of society that have been, you know, fought over over the years, have been based on ideologies. And post-ideological period, which is exactly the technocratic. Oh, ideologies were so terrible. They led us down these terrible paths. No, they didn't. They also led to you know abolishing slavery, right? Um, giving everybody the vote, women's equality. I mean, th- those are part of ideology. They're not some technocratic cost and benefit worked out. So do you think that we've got the reading of 20th century history wrong in that ideas that, that form a kind of monolithic truth, though romantic, though able to sway millions of people, are the most dangerous and that we should do everything we can to employ reason, empiricism, in order to avoid that at all costs? We want to avoid dogma. How is that different to ideology? Dogma is a completely thoughtless adherence to big ideas. But post-ideological 
postmodern, no commitment to any you know ideas, is thin gruel, right? And I mean, just in any kind of sense, you know, when you consider, well, what would you die for? What would you kill for? Now, these are sound a bit scary things, right? But it's so that you go beyond yourself, right? You know, so that you're thinking of the bigger pictures, and and. If you've just got people who thoughtlessly sign up, I mean, you know, I, I understand that if you sort of say, I am a member of the Communist Party like a robot and I don't think about it and I just follow the line, right? There's been a rejection of that and the, the, the Stalinist uh, horrors and all the rest of it were enough to put anyone off and I understand that. But if you look at, the, for example, the philosophical ideas that animated Marxism and fed the French Revolution and the anti-imperialist causes and the freedom movements um, national liberation freedom movements and the Russian Revolution and all these these are kind of you know where you end up discussing Hegel where you start thinking about uh, Kant you know these are all the big thinkers of our time right and they were not sitting down just calculating things in pennies and pence right they were trying to work out the good life what's the best way to live, how we live with each other, what equality is. I'm saying that's ideology rather than the kind of demonization of ideology, which is to assume that if you have an ideological commitment to an idea, it means that you become a thoughtless, unreasonable, uh, you know, ultimately leads to the death camps. I'd like to ask you how you regard the historical role of the tabloids in this country of influencing the situation and of caricaturing the EU. Can you honestly argue that they acted in good faith? there's all sorts of caricatures on both sides but I mean you can easily just say what do you think about the way that the uh, liberal I know that that's an inverted commas by the way but you know the kind of guardian the independent I mean you know why why is their description of the EU all benign and wonderful and cosy and anti-racist and you know when in fact the EU's ring of steel around itself its own borders has potentially led to the drowning of millions of people uh, coming from Syria you know I don't doubt that on occasion the press has uh, not given us a sophisticated rendition of either side in the midst of all this that's true it's also true there's some very fine journalists on both sides and in tabloids who've also really brought open and, and allowed the discussion to happen but even now it's driving me mad that you know Macron in France and the treatment of the gilets jaunes which is brutalising I mean, you know utterly and the Guardian really just caught up last week this is like one of the big this is happening in France for God's sake and utter brutality, real attacks on civil liberties, real authoritarian trends. That's an important thing to discuss. And you can see that they're nervous to do it because Macron's Mr. Big EU, right? Mr. European, the kind of liberal dream. And so we've obviously got to be cautious of any media biases, as it were. Yeah, fair enough. But one thing I would suggest is that, and I genuinely mean this, like I was genuinely shocked in the build-up to the referendum uh, how little people knew about the EU. But I'm talking about the people who were going to vote Remain, who were basically virtue signalling. You can say, well, there's all these other people who were kind of told all these stupid stories by tabloids. I mean, there wasn't that many, but, they, you know, all these tabloid stories, they were all corrupted. And then you kind of go to universities and that. People haven't got a clue in the history of the EU. But they would say things like, yeah, but, you know, we'll never be able to travel again. Is that ridiculous? I mean, there was as much fake news. I mean, it wasn't exactly... And so, actually, the official 
campaigns on both sides and the build-up to them, the level of political discussion about Europe in the build-up to the referendum, but even a few years before, on all sides, there has not been a positive case made for the EU. And also the anti-EU case was often caricatured nonsense, I agree. When you look at the recent cross-party split in the form of the independent group, or TIG as we'll call it, what we're seeing is a group of MPs coming forward in whom many frustrated voters who hold various positions on the Brexit issue have found an affinity. Do you see the formation of TIG as adding to a growing body of evidence that referenda, rather than empowering the electorate to impress its will on a government, actually opens up the playing field to dissent and opportunism? So I don't think there's anything about a referendum per se that would have done that. I mean, there's been two very big referendum referenda in um, Ireland recently, and people have been, you know, marginally one group won, one group lost, and, you know, the people who lost were very miserable about it, but it resolved big questions around uh, abortion rights and around gay marriage, and Similarly, although these kind of black and white issues like gay marriage in Australia, you know, you can ha- it can mean that there's quite a lot of quite heated debate and argument. It doesn't necessarily have to lead to the breakup of mainstream political parties. And I think the problem that we've had with this particular referendum is that the two main mainstream parties refused to accept the referendum result in a way that they didn't embrace it. They kind of formally accepted it, whilst actually their parties have gone into civil war over it. This seems like a good moment at which to look at something that I'm hoping your Irish Catholic background and handle on some of the biggest moral questions we face uh, will prove useful. This is whether secular societies have lost a sense in which a person's actions should be judged in relation to the possibility of their redemption. Especially since the financial crisis, there has been a collapse of faith in systems designed to punish. So much so that the first response to an allegation now is to engineer the most unredeeming version of an accused person so that they are, at the very least, guilty of guilt. Do you agree that we need to reintroduce both a will and a way for people who have fallen foul in society to redeem themselves in the public's eye? Yeah, I mean, I think redemption is an incredibly important civilised value and one that we are, as you've hinted at, you know, in danger of throwing out. I think it expresses itself in a range of ways. I think the glibness with which people can imply there's no smoke without fire when people are accused of something and that when not just career-destroying but reputation-destroying, soul-destroying, terrible allegations are made at people and people then want assume that guilt it's not only a kind of affront to the rule of law, but I think it's kind of uh, more worrying that there's such a sort of appetite for assuming the worst in people. Why assume the worst? I mean, why not say, well, let's see what the truth is? Or The other thing is that some people do do bad things, right? And so this is kind of real redemption, which is how do you indicate that? And I, I, I think one of our biggest problems at the moment is just the way that people kind of label people. And I wrote in my book about... Um, a footballer who was found guilty of rape and there was a debate about whether he should ever be allowed to play football again. My opponent disagreed, but also a lot of the sixth formers in the school that I was debating were were basically saying, that, you know, he's a rapist, he should never work again. I was really shocked that this was backed up by the teachers and by my opponent. 
because I said, well, you know, no, the idea is, is that you do your time and you kind of go, and, and, and I think we've forgotten that because there are certain crimes and at the moment there's the, the, the certain things that are so moralised and an issue like rape and sexual assault is so moralised that we just refuse to suggest that anyone can ever be capable of doing their time and then starting from a blank slate. And I think if you think about our prison reform system, that is terrible. You need to be able to say to people who come out of prison, right, this is it now, it's a chance to start again. But in view of the fact we can't forgive people who, uh, you know, make a mistake on Twitter, we're unlikely to be able to forgive people who uh, break the law and end up inside with some heinous crimes. So I'm into redemption. I think people can remake themselves. But what I also think is true is that that's not the same as saying that people shouldn't be punished or held to account. So one of the kind of contrasting stories is of the young um, woman, Shemima Begum, um, who joined ISIS when she was 15 and now, as we know, tragically, sadly, her third baby's died in a Syrian um, uh, camp. But I have no sympathy for Shemima Begum. So uh, let me put it this way. I think that there's been a whole range of apologetics to try and take away her agency for the decisions that she made in terms of going to join a death cult that knowing by the way as she has subsequently admitted that she knew what they were standing for and things that they were doing like beheadings at the very least never mind the kind of burning alive and uh, rape of Yazidi women and so on and so forth and she you know, I, I, so I don't want to kind of like be told I have to forgive her or that she didn't know what she was doing because I think that's actually insulting to her. I think she needs to be held to account. And the redemption is after she's been um, held to account. And that would probably in, in that instance mean having some punishment, right? So um, I'm just saying that because the idea that one's whole political... Um, career could be destroyed by the slip of a tongue it strikes me as that we're totally intolerant and then on the other hand I spend half of my time arguing with very similar people that Shemima Begum just made a mistake by going to Syria it's perhaps worth noting that we're in a situation where people can argue with genuine empathy for someone like Shemima Begum were she allowed to maintain her British citizenship uh, to not only stand trial and face punishment in the UK but actually earn the public's forgiveness through rehabilitation. However, the same people with the same genuine empathy would likely not say the same about someone like Tommy Robinson, who has been sentenced and sent to prison in the UK, even if it were posed as the same question of whether redemption is a desirable ideal for society to strive for. Well, that's a really good example, actually, much better one than I've just given. I mean, I, I think that, by the way, Shemima Begum shouldn't have been stripped of her citizenship as much as anything because I don't want any uh, Home Secretary to have the right, or Foreign Secretary to have the right to go around taking people's citizenship away. I mean, that's a very dangerous precedent. And also, because I think it's an act of moral cowardice because it's fairly obvious that it was a kind of way of saying, I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to deal with this awkward situation, which uh, um, doesn't bode well for for any of us but I think your Tommy Robinson example is exactly right there are some people that are deemed beyond the pale and Tommy Robinson is a really interesting case I mean I watched he he did a a documentary about Panorama making a documentary on him and some of it was very compelling 
Having said that, I find him completely unpalatable, right? So it's not as though, you know, and I don't, and he's a lot of his politics. And also, after this documentary was mad conspiratorial, everybody in the House of Commons is a paedophile, you know, and it's the cover, and you know, he's like that kind of Tommy Robinson. But not everything Tommy Robinson says is wrong like that. I just, I just think, for me, we are turning Tommy Robinson by our intolerance of him and the idea that he's unredeemable. We are turning him into a much more glamorous free speech martyr than needs to be. I think he's a pretty mediocre kind of uh, political guy, right? I don't think he's kind of got, you know, I'm not frightened of him having a voice. And some of what he says, I think we should take seriously, not because he said it, but because he just says things, which I think sometimes we're frightened to discuss. I mean, there's no doubt that his opportunistic playing on the grooming gangs, the sex grooming gangs in, in parts of the north of England you know, you can say he's opportunistically playing on it and it's Islamophobic and he hates Muslims, but on the other hand we have to ask the question, why did they, why does it take Tommy Robinson to have made such a fuss and the truth is a lot of people did not want to talk about that for a long time Let me just end then by asking how you would like to see the public square that we've ended up with trade more on the signal than the noise going forward I'm really anxious that we do say look let's look at each other as fellow voters as fellow citizens differently from this and 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 try uh, not to all sit around and hold hands but to really understand that we've just been through a big historic moment and now we've got a chance to kind of really talk to each other about what it is that we want from society I don't I find it very difficult myself because you get easily get into this thing I get so much abuse from voting Brexit I really do and it drives me mad you know people are far right and you know and you're fascist apologist and you, you know and all this drives me mad I mean it really does then you kind of can also become quite lash out and kind of like you know Romaniacs and you know metropolitan elite and I know all the, these sorts of things are lazy caricatures um, but actually it is also the case that I know more and more people who voted Remain who really are fed up with the present contemporary political discussion and want to accept the vote I don't mean that they've suddenly all decided that they don't like the EU. I just mean they've grown up enough to know, right, I, I, I accept it. So I want us to stop. I don't think this will happen, that we will stop being Brexiteer or Remainer. I think there's kind of still leave Remain kind of, you know, thing to last probably for a generation. But I do actually think that we can move on to those people who are kind of Democrats who accept this and the people who've had tried to hold back democracy and you were asking me earlier about this new independent group and I think the biggest problem for them is I really want to shake up political parties I don't want it to be Labour and Tory and Lib Dems are almost irrelevant I, I want to see new political formations emerge I just think that the independent group are the kind of least imaginative outcome because they really are just a stop Brexit party and they've got no kind of else nothing else going for them really and they also want to go back to the kind of that kind of they say oh we want to stop the brexiteers who want to go back brexiteers don't want to go back but it's also the case that they want to go back to the kind of blair years and it's kind of could somebody have some future vision so i really think the way we can overcome the toxic atmosphere of, people, yeah. of name calling is if you start to have a positive discussion about what you can do moving forward i mean any party that could capture and come out with some right let's plan this let's do this 
could unite people above that and beyond the, the, the Brexit uh, uh, Remain divide, but only if they honour that Brexit vote. Because as, when people feel that's been dishonoured, by the way, it won't ever be over. If they feel they've been betrayed, it won't ever be over. Whereas if you can say, no, we've done that, we've honoured it, now we, then I think we can really unite people. Claire Fox, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. I, I enjoyed it. And I burbled on, so see what you can do at editing it. <laughs>